We are told that Jesus was Joseph's son, that Joseph was the man who married Mary and that he was part of raising Jesus. We know Luke tells us that he was there uh, when Jesus was lost at the temple with them. That's the last we hear of Joseph. But Jesus had to have grown up around a carpenter shop. Now, you and I would sort of see that more as woodworking. Probably uh, there was more stonemasonry that was involved in that process, but it would have also included some woodworking things. I wonder, and I ask you to join me in, in an imaginative moment, I wonder when it was that in the routine of being around Joseph's shop, being around the carpenter shop, and, and whether it was from a freshly cut stone, which can have an edge, or whether it was from the tools that always had to be sharp and ready to be used, especially if you're not using power tools, they better be sharp because the power's in your arm, or whether it was a piece of wood itself, that Jesus reached and grabbed one of the what would have been a rough-hewn plank and pulled, and for whatever it slipped, or maybe there was a loose splinter or something, and, and, and he pulled and it cut. Now, probably from before he could even maybe put the pieces together, he had probably drawn blood in some way or another around the shop, and it was just what happened to boys who were around their father's shop. But there had to have been a day Maybe it was after that day and when he stayed in Jerusalem for three days and his parents couldn't find him, but he went home obediently. Luke chapter 2 tells us he went home obediently. Maybe it was after that that one day he reached and an injury occurred. And oftentimes with wood, the injury is not, not a puncture so much as it is a, a cut, a stripe, as it were. And his blood came out. And he looked at his blood. And he looked at the shape of the wound as a stripe. And the words of Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. The words of Isaiah became real in a new and different and personal way. When they laid the cross on his shoulder or his back or however it was that he carried, was there any sense of the familiar? I know what it's like to carry a wooden beam. I've done that before. But this was different. It was probably six to eight hundred years before Jesus came to the earth that Isaiah penned those words in Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed. And and I don't know the full weight of what he realized he was writing, but it was certainly precious to Jesus because Jesus referred to it in his ministry over and over and over again. And now he comes to Jerusalem, the place of that last part of the journey. And it's more real. And it will be fatal. But you see, his by the stripes we are healed is informed by, again, six to eight hundred years later, by John when he wrote, Isaiah's stripes of, of, 
Isaiah Strap's prophecy is not just a factual fulfillment, but it's a, a really a human one. It speaks into what we call incarnation. That God would choose to put on flesh, because you see, if God can't put on flesh, he doesn't bleed. If God doesn't put on flesh, he doesn't die. Jesus will bleed, and Jesus will die. And John says that wrapped up in Jesus' flesh is God himself come to be with us. Not to lay the stripes that are deserved on someone else, but to take them for himself. See, it's very human. The way that 1 John, in the passage that Kevin read a moment ago, John wants his readers to understand Jesus was real. He was flesh and blood. He was among us. We heard him and we touched him. There's something more powerful about Isaiah's prophecy. There's something more powerful about the cross when we recognize that it isn't just a human, although it's fully a human. It's God himself who went to the cross. There's great value in reading all four, and, and I'm going to be encouraging you before we're done today that this is a great week to open up all four Gospels and read through those last chapters as we come to Jerusalem, as Jesus teaches in Jerusalem, as Jesus blesses his disciples and blesses us by starting the Lord's Supper, and then endures the rejection, endures the torture, and goes to the cross and allows his life to slip away. Those stories are powerful. They have great meaning, and when we stack them up, we, we see a, a picture that's very unique. But sometimes we need to stop and say, what does each gospel writer want us to see? We're going to take two look, a look at two of the gospels today to try and maybe inform us a little bit about the power of the incarnation and the power of the cross. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 22, and again, if you're at home, I encourage you to open up your Bibles. Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In your text, it just it's the next word. But I have a feeling it hung there for a little while. Waiting for an answer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? 
She asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. Luke wants to tell us about a prayer. And if you don't see it, you need to see it. It's a very human prayer. Luke tells us he's on the Mount of Olives. The other Gospels will even identify that he's not just on the Mount of Olives, but he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know, and you can step within a hundred feet and be pretty reliably sure that you're near where Jesus was. Where he prayed this prayer. Potentially the most human thing that he did in all of his ministry. It's not human to turn water into wine. It's not human to tell the sea to be still. It's very human to say, Father, do I have to? Do I have to obey you in that way? Do I have to be faithful to you in that way? Do I have to do this? And his response to me is indicative of what you and I experience oftentimes in our prayer lives. At the moment when we most want a word from God, what we so often hear is silence. And in that silence, Jesus is not fearful that God is not there. Jesus is not fearful that his prayer has not been heard. Jesus is aware that even in the silence, he will be faithfully obedient to God. A real temptation, a real question, where our eternity hung in the balance. And if he wasn't human enough yet, you hear the weight of the prayer described in this unique way that his sweat became like great drops of blood. He was in agony. I don't know that he was afraid, but he was in agony. He was really, really human. And yet, what we rest in is that he was also completely and fully, faithfully, obedient. Let's continue the story in John chapter 19. Yes, you'll have to flip to the next gospel, not just a few pages. Because now we go to the last moments of the crucifixion. Now we step into that time where Jesus' life is hung again on a cross. And he weighs his alternatives as the Son of God bearing the stripes that would heal. And we hear John telling us a conversation. Picking up in verse 25, Near the cross of, of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, 
this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. While the geographic location is less certain, the fact that Jesus was on a wooden cross is absolute. We're not sure exactly what it looked like. It probably doesn't look much like our modern representations. It wouldn't have been as clean. It wouldn't have been as neat. But it was a cross. It was a cross that a human body was laid on who had human concerns. And even in his pain and even in his suffering and even with the imminent nature of his death before him, he, like all the rest of us, wanted to take care of the people he loved and was most responsible for, his mother. And he points her to his closest disciple and said, here is your mother. It's probably true that when John wrote this gospel, there were people who knew that Mary lived with him. And they may have wondered, why was she with John? And he told them why that was the case. But it's also one way in which John wants to make his death very human and very personal. If the prayer isn't the most human response, the next statement is, I thirst. He was the living water. He was the food that could feed us all. He was those things. And yet, in his humanity in this moment, he said, I, I'm in need. And isn't it powerful that it is the people around him who have to give him something to drink? And there's this little invitation to you and I to be one of those people that gives a drink in Jesus' name, wherever that's asked for. But above that is the reality of Jesus saying, I'm just like you. And in this moment, I'm thirsty. There's so many things human about Jesus. He was... He bled when he was cut. My guess is at some level his heart hurt when he was rejected. It says he was in anguish in the garden. He knew what was coming. There was part of that that wasn't just the pain of the cross, but the fact that he would be separated from his disciples. And, and his prayer indicates that he was worried about their well-being. Many human things. I don't know, though, there's nothing quite so much human as the realization we're going to die. And it doesn't come to you early in life, thankfully. Amen. It comes to you later in life. And you kind of start looking at the horizon and you say there's an end point and Jesus joins us in that. 
He doesn't say, okay, I'm out of here, I'll let this body die and I'll come back later. He says, for me, now, it is finished. And he enjoins us in the most human of things, which is to truly die. To have life leave our body and for there to no longer be breath. Our heart doesn't beat. The brain no longer functions. It is finished. But you see, that's not the end of John's testimony. In fact, what's quite interesting is you read John's testimony on its own and not necessarily in parallel with all the rest of them. What you read is that he is almost going to spend as many words on the burial of Jesus as he did on the death of Jesus. That's quite interesting. I would ask that you would join me again, starting in verse 38, this time in John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. And everybody who's read John goes, big alarms go off. We know who this guy is. And so he tells us. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, with the full expectation that they would be caring for a human body. And not just any human body, but a deceased, dead human body being prepared for burial. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it and with the spices in the strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden was a new tomb. They didn't want the bodies left on the cross. And so the Jewish leaders said, please, you've got to get them off the cross. We can't leave them here any longer. The, the day's about to end and, and the holy time is about to begin. So we have to get these bodies down. They were worried about a real body. And it isn't it ironic that they're worried about purification issues when the one who's going to make them pure, the one whose stripes would heal them, was the one that they were worried about getting off the cross real quick. Because They broke the legs of the other two that were beside him, but Jesus was already dead. An expert knew that. A Roman soldier knew that. And to test his theory, he poked a spear into Jesus' side. And again, isn't it interesting that Luke would comment on the blood and the water, and now John would comment on the blood and the water. The real human stuff. This, this section is not at all about geography. It really isn't about place. Its power lies in its humanity. And so it is that John will give us that, that, that biggest kind of stop and aside and say, 
I saw this, I know this, this is real. Kind of an odd place to put it. Not when Jesus expired, not when Jesus is resurrected, but right here at the burial. This is real. And so it is that they wrapped him with the spices in the strips of linen. They did this because they were wrapping and preparing for burial and preparing for decomposition and death. The real body of Jesus. We need to let that hang there just a minute because we always want to jump so quickly. And John does. He just, one verse. Next day. Monday, Sunday morning. But for just a moment, we need to let it sink in. That the Son of God, the Word made into flesh, the one by whose stripes we are healed, was buried and prepared for decomposition. Very quickly, if I could, I'd like to talk about some implications. Awareness is what we're talking about here. Experiencing the stripes that heal. That Jesus has done things for us and the way he did them has an impact. First of all, I want to be sure and say that when we are feeling tempted and struggling with faith and obedience, we are not alone. We hold Jesus up sometimes on such a pedestal, and he, he was holy, and he did it flawlessly, but we almost put him up there such that we never say he even experienced discouragement and temptation, and that is not the witness of Scripture. And when we face that ourselves, we have to be aware that we are not alone. Secondly, when we are experiencing isolation. Anybody experiencing isolation these days? When we're experiencing rejection, and maybe this time isn't about rejection, although I understand that now if you show up at the grocery store at the wrong time and there are too many people inside, they'll say, no, you can't come in. But we know that rejection is bigger than that. And when we are experiencing isolation and rejection, we have to recognize that the one by whose stripes we're healed, was one who was isolated and rejected. We are not alone. Third, when we are facing physical struggles and even death itself, we are not alone. He has walked that path. He is with us. And the fact that he did experience the stripes makes it more real. But also the fact that those stripes heal us because of their humanity, because of their revelation, because they're real. We don't have to be alone. Uh, Randy Harris last week, or week before last, at ACU's chapel, which has been broadcast all over the world, made a point, he said, the people who are dying of COVID-19 are dying because they can't breathe. Jesus died because he couldn't breathe. Anyone that died on the cross suffocated to death. That's the reason they broke legs. Jesus had already lost the strength to lift himself on the cross so that he could breathe. 
even in death itself. We are not alone. Finally, when we are joining Jesus in praying through it all, through the temptation, through the isolation and rejection, through the physical struggles and even death, when we pray through those processes, we can never be alone. Did you hear his words to the disciples in that scene in the garden? Pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I don't know what you're doing this week. I don't know how it will differ from every other week, but my prayer is that two things. One is you'll open the Gospels and read through this journey of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't read them all at the same time. Take a day to read each one. And hear the story of going to Jerusalem, of teaching in Jerusalem, of being rejected, being crucified, and walk that path with him. But secondly, every time you open the text to read, pray. Father, deliver me from temptation. Father, open, open my heart to the way in which Jesus is with me. Today, right now, the way his flesh and blood brings life to the fact that we are healed by his stripes. The journey of Jesus took him to the table with the disciples. And it was there that in the bread and in the cup, he said, I want you to be part of this journey with me. I want me to be part of you and you to be part of me. And I want that to go on until all of this is recreated and we enjoy it one last time at a great heavenly banquet. As you partake today, as you get your elements ready at this time, after the song we'll pray, as you take today, may it have a special semblance that the, the one whose stripes healed you is the one who offers you his body, is the one who offers you his blood. Let's come and commune around the table of the Lord. Your only Son goes into life, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty song. And to become the Lamb of God, your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died, but you have brought me. 
wash me in his precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Father God, we come before you now to ask your blessings on this bread. Father God, the body of your Son on that cross, the sacrifice for us. We ask that we take this in a manner pleasing in your sight. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Father God, we come before you to ask your blessings on this cup, the, the blood of your stripes that heal us, that wash us whiter than snow. We thank you and we praise you for it. It's through your son's name that we pray. Amen. Oh, 
We've started using this as a time to word particular special prayers. Um, today, uh, last week we talked about, and you'll find a list on, on Facebook, and again we've asked you to add names to that list, but last week we prayed for all the health care workers, the frontline health care workers. This week we're going to be praying for a different group of people, and uh, while we have some that are part of our church, we know that this is a much larger circle. Our first responders, whether it's our police and sheriff's deputies, our state troopers, or also our fire people who are, because of their job, are required to be face-to-face -face with people very often, and it's hard to maintain those distances and, to a certain extent, taking risks on that. The names that we know that serve in those ways, Will Ammons is fire marshal here. Uh, Ryan Arthur works for the DPS office and is actively on duty, we know, uh, as well as Will. And then Jay Foster, who runs EMS services out at Dow. And again, uh, if someone has any kind of symptoms, he's the one they call and he's the one that has to show up. And so we ask for you to remember them in a very special prayer uh, as, as we move forward. Won't you join me in that prayer at this time? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the way you hear our prayers. We thank you for the way that you, we trust in your intervention in our lives. We don't always know the way that intervention is coming about, but we, we pray for your hand of healing, your hand of protection, your hand of provision, for your blessings in all our lives. But today, Father, we particularly lift up to you. These that are our first, what we call our first responders. We pray your blessings on them. We pray your protection on them. We pray that you'll provide for them a way to do their jobs, do them well, and to remain safe. And for any who uh, might contract the virus, whether, wherever they may be, we pray that you would bring your healing touch on them. We pray that you will uh, lift our eyes to you in this time of unique concerns and that our hearts will be turned towards you and in turning towards you may our hearts be turned in, in powerful love towards our brothers and sisters. Whether that can be inside a physical distance or not, may our hearts turn to that great love. We thank you for being a God who is above all things. And yet we thank you for being a God who chose to put on flesh to be right in the middle of all these things. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray and we all say, Amen and Amen. I don't know how you want to respond to the idea that by his stripes we are healed. If it is that you are in need of baptism, we will work to try and figure out how we're going to do that. Don't have all those answers yet, but you let us know, and we'll work towards that end. But maybe more than that today, the invitation is to be aware that when you look around, you look around the room that you're in with whoever you're gathered with, you recognize that the same flesh and blood that you see them is the same flesh and blood that Jesus had. And it is the fact that he came as a human and that he died as a human that brings great healing power to his stripes. If for whatever reason you want to send us a prayer request while this song is being sung, 
Feel free to use the text messaging number 979-217-3300. Again, 979-217-3300. And if we feel like those are intended to be publicly announced and prayed over, we'll do that before we close out that, this service. So I know you've probably been relaxed on your couch or in your recliner. Maybe somebody still in their pajamas in bed watching service. And the whole church says? But for this moment, let's stand and respond to God's great gift of the healing that we have through the stripes of Jesus Christ. And sing.